1 Kings chapter 2 after that. And we're going to look at Psalm 127 first as kind of a jumping off point. And then I want to look at a specific thing here in 1 Kings chapter 2. And then we'll uh, move on. But I mentioned it this morning. Um, I, I want to I give you a lesson tonight on teaching our boys to be men. And uh, honestly, like I mentioned this morning, I think it's going to be, it's, I think it's going to be very helpful for, for our boys. But I think it's also helpful for our girls, too, because this is, we should be teaching them that this is what they ought to be looking for in a, in a guy, right? Uh, I think the ultimate uh, example of what they should be looking for in a husband is the dad, right? And if they can't look at the dad and say, that's what I'm looking for in a husband, then there's something wrong, uh, first of all. Um, but obviously, if you're teaching these things to your sons, then it's something that you should be and, and hopefully are modeling yourself at home. And your girls will see it, and they're not going to settle for anything less than what you are. At least they shouldn't. Uh, so I think it will be helpful for both. But the Bible says this in Psalm 127, and uh, I think this is a very familiar passage to you as well, but it says this, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. And over there in 1 Kings chapter 2, David was passing off the scene, if you will. He had fulfilled the things that God, for the most part, had, had wanted him to fulfill. Solomon was coming in to take over. And David was getting ready to die, and so he gives a charge to his son Solomon. And he says this in 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 1. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself that the Lord may continue his word, which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. See, the world is doing its best to teach our, our boys that manliness is not acceptable. It's trying to, to make them apologize for being men and for being manly. And you see that all, I mean, especially within, to me, the last five years, but maybe the last 15 or 20 years, you can you could go back probably that far. But uh, the, the world's trying to teach our boys to be effeminate, to be soft, trying to make them everything, you know, trying to make everything gender neutral anymore. You go into some of these stores, and, and, and honestly, some of these, I don't even go in some of these stores anymore, because everything is, they're trying to make it so gender neutral that, you know, well, we can't have a boy's section and a girl's section. We just have to have, it's all together, Right? There ought to be a distinction between the boys and the girls, and, and that's what the world is trying to do with that, with that gender neutrality is make our boys grow up and be effeminate, make our girls grow up and be manly, and, and that's not the way that God designed it. There ought to be that distinction. Girls are supposed to be effeminate, and boys are supposed to be manly. I don't watch the shows on television and all this stuff, but every once in a while you'll see these advertisements for different shows or different, you know, honestly, a lot, of, a lot of the commercials and things like that are even that way now where, you know, the dad is the, is the, the big idiot, you know, the, the mother, the kids are the ones that are all the smart ones and they've got to tell the dad how to live and how to, how to act and how to do everything because he's just dumb, right? 
Uh, you see that happening a lot of times, and, and men are just the, the blundering fools who are led by the women. And sadly, that's every time, a com I think Mitten might have mentioned this, but, uh, or somebody, but every time a commercial is played, and we, we for the most part, turn the commercials off when, when we're watching a baseball game or something like that, because everything that they do has a purpose behind it. And, and pr probably the primary purpose is that they're trying to sell you something, but in a lot of these things, and especially in a lot of the television shows that are being produced today, there's an agenda behind all of it. And it might be a soft agenda, but there's agenda, there's agendas that they're pushing. And more and more and more, you're seeing that they're trying to make the boys effeminate. They're trying to make them uh, to be less masculine. God created them that way. God created men to be men and women to be women, and, and there's nothing that we should be ashamed about when it comes to those things. Douglas Wilson said this, we live in a feminist and effeminate culture. Because of this, at best, as a people, we are uneasy with masculinity. Norman Mailer in 1966 said this, because there is very little honor left in the American life, there is a certain built-in tendency to destroy masculinity in American men. I think bringing it, bringing it closer to home uh, a lot of women do the same thing in the home. Dad says something or does something, maybe comes down hard on the, on the boy for something, and, you know, mom says in front of the boy, I think that's too hard. And again, I mean, that's, that's probably one of the things that I struggle with is being too hard sometimes. But I, I'm thankful my wife does not, does, doesn't do this, but she just torn down the authority in front of the children because now the boy walks away saying, you know what, yeah, dad really is unreasonable, Right? Talk about it behind closed doors. Let dad be the one that changes his mind on, on, the, on the punishment or whatever it happened to be that he came down hard on. But so many men let their wife take the lead in the home. And God never designed it to be that way. God designed the man to lead. And, and again, I've said it a million times, and I'll, and I'll say it a million more times probably. It doesn't mean that, that men are smarter. It doesn't mean that they're better. It doesn't, mean that they're any, it doesn't mean that they're any different in God's eyes. But God created somebody to be the leader and somebody to be the follower. And so many men let their wife take the lead in the home, and so many men, women are trying to grab it that the boys are essentially being raised by their mothers. And that's not the way that God designed it to be. Dad is a man, so who better to raise a boy into manhood than the dad, right? He's already, he's already in manhood. He's already there. Mom is there to help dad and back him up in what he's doing. It falls on the men then to step up and take the lead and take the leadership role in the home. There's nothing wrong with being a man. That's exactly what God created you to be. The same way that there's nothing wrong with being a woman, if that's what God created you to be. A lady, that's exactly what God wants you to be. There's no place for a man that does not understand his place or his purpose. Truett Cathy, he's the founder of Chick-fil-A. He said this, it's better to build boys than to mend men. And I think it's true. If we start early, we have to start early. We have to start young because if, if we wait until they're into adulthood, it's too late by that point. Uh, our boys are not just going to automatically be the right kind of man because they hit a certain age. There's a lot of males running around in our culture. There's not a lot of men running around in our culture anymore. They're going to be men because dad had them practice being a man from the time that they were a little boy. And um, it's, it's the same thing. I mean, you could use any illustration, but a guy doesn't learn how to play soccer because all of a sudden he hits a certain age and he knows how to play soccer. He learns how to play soccer because he practices and he grows, he starts at a young age. I mean, uh, same thing when it came to playing soccer for me. I started soccer in kindergarten. I played all the way till I graduated college, and then I coached soccer for 10 years. I'm not saying I'm, you know, I'm a major league soccer level, but I know what I'm doing around a soccer ball, and it didn't happen because, well, I'm 16 now. I should know how to play soccer, right? It happened because I started young, and I started practicing, and I learned, and I wasn't very good at it at the beginning. 
But you get better and better and better and better at it. And the same thing is true with raising young men. They, they are going to make mistakes. They are going to fail. They're not going to be men when they're young boys. But they grow, in, they grow from young boys to young men to adulthood and to manhood. And that's how, the, that's how we ought to be raising them. So in light of the way that the world is trying to raise our boys, honestly, to be sissies, I, I want to I look at four things tonight that we ought to be doing to help our boys grow into the men that God wants them to become. And I, and I think that we could probably spend a, a message on every single one of these points, and there's probably a lot more points that we could add into it. This is kind of just hitting some basics tonight, but I hope it'll be a help to us. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, because the first thing we ought to be teaching is that we ought to be teaching roughness. We ought to be teaching roughness. Matthew chapter 13, verse 54. This is obviously talking about Jesus. It says, and when he was come into his own country, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 54. When he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judah? Jesus was a carpenter, right? He, he I don't know if, I mean, I don't know if God gave him the choice when he was in heaven. What do you want to do for a living? Who do you want your father to be? I don't, I don't know if he had those choices or not, but he chose to be a carpenter, right? That's a, that was a rough trade. It, it, it was then, it is now, but he, 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 was, he chose a rough trade to be involved in as a man. But he did that all the way up until he was 30 years old, right? He didn't leave that until the time that he went into the ministry uh, and, and started his earthly ministry, but he wasn't afraid to act like a man. He stood up to the money changers, right? Can you see some of these guys today uh, walking in and seeing what's going on in the temple and saying, you boys should not be doing that anymore, you know? And their skinny jeans so tight they can barely walk, right? And their hair flipped back and, you know, nice little wavy curls and all of that kind of stuff. Jesus was not that type of man. You can tell by the way that he acted, right? He, was, he, he knew how to be rough when the, when the time came to be rough. Patrick Henry said, adversity toughens manhood. And a characteristic of the good man or great man is not that he's been exempt from the evils of life, but that he has surmounted them. And I think it's so important that we teach our boys to walk and talk like men. It's so important that, uh, that we do that. The world's allowing and teaching boys to act more and more effeminate. And, and not, just, not just that it's allowed, they're teaching them to do those things, right? You have characters in, in probably in movies and, and TV shows and everything else. And that's what I'm saying. There's an agenda behind everything that's being pushed. And it's, it is the effeminization of our culture uh, because, because that's what they're trying to push. But the more they see that and the more they watch that, the more we have to be strong. You're, you're not going to act like that. That's not who you're going to be. Act like a man. There ought, to be, there ought not to be anything effeminate about the way your boys act. And, I, and, I, and when I say that, I say, you know, uh, there's, there are effeminate hairstyles that are out there. How many times do you see somebody walking in the store and you can't even tell if it's a guy or a girl? Right? A lot because of the clothes they're wearing, because of the way their hair is styled, because of the jewelry that they have on or whatever else. You can't tell if it's a guy or a girl, right? There ought to be a distinction. Uh, there ought never be a time when somebody looks at me and says, boy, I wonder if he's a woman, right? <laughs> you would think that's great. If I came walking in in, a, in, a, you know, in skinny jeans and all this other kind of stuff, you, you would think this is some kind of joke, right? Why? Because I'm making a point that I'm going to live and act like a man. And that ought to be the same thing that we're teaching our boys. Well, it's so hard to find clothes anymore because they just go find them somewhere else, right? You can find them. You just have to look for them. That's the only thing they sell in stores. So I guess my boy's going to walk around in jeans so tight he can't even move, 
No, it should not be that way. Go find them. They're, they're, they're out there. You just got to make it a point to do it, right? And the same thing is true. I'm telling you, I see, uh, I go into these, these Christian schools and stuff when our kids play basketball and different stuff in these other Christian schools. And, and, I'm, and, and, and so many of these guys have the exact same, they all, they all think they're different, right? I'm standing up to society. I'm going to be so different. I'm just going to look like everybody else, right? And that's what, they, that's what they're doing. But you see this big old floppy mop of hair on their head, and it's all down in their eyes, and they're constantly doing this kind of stuff, right? That's effeminate. That's what you would expect a woman to do, right? That's what girls do when they're playing basketball and all this stuff, right? If a boy is flipping his hair out of his eyes, it's too long, right? Something's wrong. And, well, you know, it's just the way that he decided he wanted to do his hair. You're his dad. Make him cut it, right? You're the one that's responsible for the way that your boy looks and acts. You're the one that's responsible for the way that your boy dresses. Now, if he wants to go dress like a woman when he's 18 and he's not living in your house anymore, then let that be the decision that he makes. But as long as he's living in your house, you have the responsibility to make sure that he looks and acts like a man. Let them be rough. Let them work with you. I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it would be a lot easier if I just did the work by myself, right? I'll let the boys work with me all the time. And they're getting better. The older they get, the better they get. And, and I'm telling you, it's something that's, that, that I had to start early with and had to start developing a long time ago. But especially when they were a little bit younger, it would have been a whole lot easier for me to just go do it myself, right? And, uh, you know, but, but I have young boys that I'm training to be young men. And when I became a father, I also became responsible to help them become every bit of the man that they can be. Take them with you to Lowe's, Right? Let them learn what the experts are telling you about how to fix this or do that or whatever else, you know? Teach them what you're doing when you're doing it. Hey, it's going to make your job a whole lot easier later on, right? Uh, same thing, you know, so every, every Sunday morning we come in here, I make the coffee. And I say, you know what? I'm going to teach Riley how to make the coffee so that it, it makes my job easier, right? It takes me three or four weeks of teaching her how to make the coffee, but now she knows how to make the coffee in the morning. I eliminated one job that I have to do, Right? It takes a little bit of patience. It takes a little bit of effort. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that your kids are your slaves, but give them, give them small jobs. Give them things that will be easy for you, but that may be a struggle for them to do, right? Teach them how to get to the point where they can figure it out for themselves. We, we, burn our, we heat with wood. We burn, the, burn wood at our house, and, and we've, I've done that my entire life, so it was, it was a natural thing for me to do that. But, uh, you know, we have to cut and split a lot of firewood, and there's pieces that, that honestly would be very easy for me to pick up or split or whatever else. That's very hard for them because they're not men yet, right? And when they say, I can't do it, and, it, and anything, anything that it comes down to, I can't do it, I can't do it, I tell them, go figure it out because guess what? That's exactly what I'm going to do when I get there, and that's what a man does. A man just figures out a way to get it done, and that makes him struggle. It makes him work, but you know what? They usually figure out a way to get it done, and sometimes I do have to go help them. I'm not saying that you've got to leave them out there till midnight working on trying to lift a piece of wood into the trailer, I'm, I, but, but you're training them, and you're teaching them, and if all you ever do is go do the work for them, then they're never going to learn how to do it, and they're going to be 18 years old, and they know how to put a screw in something, Right? You, you train them, teach them, and you may not be a carpenter. You may not be an expert at those things yourself, but go look up a YouTube video on how to do it. Everybody, there's somebody on there that's told you how to screw a screw into a board, right? Go look it up, figure out how to screw a screw into a board, and then go tell your son you're an expert at it, right? <laughs> teach him how to do it. That's, that's, that's the job of the father. But again, when you're teaching them how to work, you also ought to make it an enjoyable experience, right? Your son's not your slave, like I said. 
uh, you're teaching him how to work and how to be a man. You ought to have a good time bonding with your son. And uh, it, 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 you ought to make working together enjoyable. I think the quickest way to make, uh, make a young man hate work is to make it a, a, a miserable experience every time you get together, right? And sometimes you're just trying to get a job done and, and you get, you know, go do this. I, told you, I already told you how to do it. Go get it done, right? And sometimes it's not a 100% enjoyable experience. But you're not trying to, you know, when you're taking your son out to work, you're taking him to work so that he can learn how to struggle, right? You're taking him to work so, you, so that he can learn how to, how, how to do things for himself in that way. So if everything is just, oh, I'm sorry, son, let me put this in there for you, right? Then he's never going to learn how to do it. And it may not be enjoyable for him sometimes, um, but it ought to be an enjoyable experience. Today's boys have never had to struggle with anything for the most part. And that's why society is in the condition that it's in. Could you imagine, could you imagine if we had World War III? what our army would look like if they started drafting people. You know, they, they, they would say, you know, are you, you know, are, 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 they would, number one, they'd have to figure out if it was a boy or a girl before they drafted them into the army, right? And then number two, once they got in there, could you imagine telling them to go do 10 push-ups or go pick up a gun? Yeah, I can't handle those things, right? I mean, and that's what I'm saying. That's what, that's what we're training today. And that's why it's our responsibility as men to teach our boys to be rough, right? Put a gun in their hands and make them shoot it. We, we had a great time doing that the other day at the, at the picnic, right? You know, uh, make them do the things that they don't want to do. Teddy Roosevelt said, the things that will destroy America are prosperity at any price, peace at any price, safety first instead of duty first, and the love of soft living. That's, that is what is destroying America today. We have we've fell, fallen in love with soft living. And technology has done a lot of that to our, to our boys, right? Growing up, we didn't have a lot of that technology that would do the stuff for you. You had to do it yourself. And it's destroying. It really is. The, it's the love of soft living that, our, that we have fallen in love with, and we've translated that into our, into our boys, and they've fallen in love with the same thing, you know? Nothing wrong with wanting our children to succeed and having things that will make their life easier. But we need to prepare them for the real world, right? The real world is not kind. The real world is not soft. It's not going to coddle them and baby them, and neither should we. Now, uh, let, me, let me just give a little side note in here in saying that there's a difference between babying a child and comforting a child. Um, I let my wife comfort the kids, but I don't let her baby the kids, right? And, and I'm, not, I'm not warm and fuzzy for the most part, so I, I have a hard time babying them, and they, they know that. But, uh, and, I, and I think that that's... Uh, it's just a part of the way that we grew up, but, but we're, we're not trying to teach our boys to be macho men. We're trying to teach them to be tough, and there's a difference, right? Uh, if you were to ask the world today what makes a man, they would probably describe somebody that's this big, you know, tough guy that works out in the gym all the time and, you know, uh, wears a leather jacket and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know exactly what they would describe, but that, there's nothing wrong with letting them see us shed a tear. There's nothing wrong with letting them shed a tear when, when there needs to be that time. And, and, you know, I'm not a crier. I don't cry very often at all. Um, but there's been times when I've shed tears and they've seen it, right? And, and there's been times when they've fallen and scraped a knee or something like that. And I'm saying, get up, you're not hurt. You only got a bone sticking out the side of your leg, right? There are times when there is, it's necessary for them to shed a tear. And there's, and, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's done in moderation and as long as it's done for the right reasons. We're, we're only... We're only trying to go against the wimpification culture and teach our boys that men ought to be tough. 
Um, Theodore Roosevelt said this again. I wish to preach not the doctrine of ignoble ease, but the doctrine of a strenuous life, the life of toil and effort, of labor and strife, to preach that highest form of success which comes not to the man who desires mere easy peace, but to the man who does not shrink from danger, from hardship, or from bitter toil, and who out of these wins the splendid ultimate triumph. I'm so thankful that my childhood was filled with, you know, bruises and imagination, playing outside and all that kind of stuff, instead of playing on apps and, and trying to get a certain number of likes and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Get them out there, get them, teach them how to be tough, right? If, if, if a boy's never had a skinned knee or a busted forehead or something like that, then there's something wrong, right? Get them out there and let them be tough. Let them, let them learn how to be rough. That's, that's part of what being a man is all about, right? Get them out in the woods. Get them out in, in camping. Get them out hiking. Get them out doing those kind of things. And uh, it's, it's going to help them out in the long run, especially when things get tough. Because, listen, things are going to get tough. It, there's a reason why our grandparents saved aluminum and reused their aluminum foil and their plastic bags and all of that kind of stuff. That was America in the 1930s, and I think it's coming again. And I think our, our, I think our culture is in for a rude awakening when that happens because our, our culture is so used to being soft and coddled and have everything handed to them that when all of a sudden it's not there, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. And if we've already taught them how to be rough and how to handle that and how to be a tough man, then it's going to be a whole lot easier on them and on their families. Teaching roughness. But the second thing I think we ought to be teaching them is teaching relationships. And in essence, what I mean by relationships is that it's teaching our boys how to be gentlemen. And that's what I'm saying. Being tough does not mean being a macho man. There's a difference between being tough and gritty and being a gentleman. Uh, and you can have both. You can have both at the same time. Uh, the truth of the matter is being a gentleman is not rocket science, but being a gentleman it requires a little logic, it requires a little forethought, it and it requires a great deal of forethought for other people. It's exactly what I mentioned this morning, is that, that everybody's out for looking out for number one. What can, how can it benefit me? A gentleman says, how can it help somebody else? What can I do for others? It's not, it's not about complicated rules and, and convoluted instructions. It's about trying to make e life easier for somebody else. That's what being a gentleman is about. It's about honesty and sincerely being a nice guy. We, we hold men like George Washington and Robert E. Lee and Thomas, uh, uh, not Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jackson, Stonewall Jackson, uh, a lot of other of our founding fathers and those that kind of came after them in high regard. And we look at these men, not just for what they did on the battlefield and, and what they did physically and everything else, but uh, one of the things that set these men apart is that they were gentlemen. That they cared for their men. They, their men knew it. They treated other people with respect. Being a gentleman is not something you do. It's something that you are. Uh, it's a lifestyle. For example, you don't, you don't hold a door for a lady because you decided to be a gentleman. Once you hold a door for a lady because that's who you are. Right? I forget exactly who it was. I think it might have been Jack Hiles years ago who held the door open for a lady. And she, she walked through and she was one of these manly, you know, manly type ladies. And she said, you don't have to hold a door for me just because I'm a lady. And as she walked through the door, he said, I didn't hold the door for you because you're a lady. I held the door for you because I'm a gentleman. And that's exactly what it ought to be. It's a lifestyle choice, right? It's something that we, that we decide to become. You don't respect authority because the situation required or because you had no comeback against what they said. You respect authority because you're a gentleman, and that's what gentlemen do. And if you want your sons to grow up to be gentlemen, 
then you have to teach them that lifestyle from the time that they're very young. It's our responsibility to teach our boys how to treat other people. Teach them to respect their mother. There will never be a time when your son talks back to his mother, at least not without a, a, a fist following right behind it, right? I'm not saying you've got to punch him in the mouth, but I'm saying there, there's, there ought to be some serious consequences if your boy talks back to his mother. And, and I know that when you get to be 15, 16, 17 years old, you, you, you know, I was there once, right? You're a, you're, a, uh, you're a big man at that point, and you're allowed to talk to your mom however you want to talk to your mom. Now, I learned very quickly that you don't talk to your mother that way, right? My dad taught me that lesson real quick. And uh, that's their job of the father, to teach them to respect their mothers, teach them how to respect their sisters. They ought never to treat their sister any different than they would treat a, another lady in public, right? Because I'm telling you this, the way that they treat their mother and the way that they treat their sisters is the exact same way that they're going to treat their wife. You know why? Because you're very familiar with your mother. You're very familiar with your sister. That's who you grew up with. And it's going to be, oh, I love this woman so much, I would never treat her that way until you get to know her. And then you're going to be treating her the same way that, she, that, he, that you treat your mother and the same way that you treat your sister. And by the way, girls, when you're looking for a guy, you ought to look at and see how he treats his mother. You ought to look and see how he treats his sister because that's exactly how he's going to treat you when you're his wife. Teach them how to respect ladies in public, even the ones that don't deserve it. But as, as boys learn to treat their mothers and their sisters properly, then they're going to gain that proper respect for femininity. And you know what that means? That means they're going to protect a young woman's purity because they're going to respect the fact that she's a young lady and that she's pure. It'll help the, it'll help the sisters to act like ladies and to be more feminine. It'll help, it'll help their boys to learn to defend the honor of their sisters, Right? Uh, it's, it's certainly going to translate into how one day they're going to treat their girlfriend and then eventually their wife. And if they've learned how to treat them the right way and treat those that are closest to them with the proper respect, then they're going to defend and protect the purity of their future wife. And that's so important. We ought to be teaching that. That's what a gentleman does, right? Uh, I use this often when I, when I do weddings. I don't, I don't even know. I wish I, I wish I knew where I heard it or read it. I think I read it somewhere. Uh, but the greatest definition of love that I ever heard was want, love is wanting the best for another person. Oh, I love that woman so much. I can't, you know, uh, I, I couldn't wait till we got to the marriage altar, right? No, true love is wanting the best for another person. And if we would teach our young men what true love really is, then they will do everything they can to protect the purity of girls that they are dating or courting or whatever until they get to the marriage altar, Right? You ought to be pure by the time you make it to the marriage altar. And, 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 and it's the job of the fathers and the mothers helping them to teach that to their young men. It is possible for a boy to learn how to be a gentleman. Boys are always going to be boys. So those lessons have to be taught. They're not just going to gravitate to those things. They're not just going to automatically be a gentleman. They have to be taught how to be a gentleman. Being a gentleman is, is the manliest way you can live. Treating other people with respect, treating other people with dignity, uh, you know, that, that trumps a, a chest-thumping, egocentric guy any day of the week. Somebody who knows how to treat other people with respect. Simply acting like a gentleman is not enough. It's being a gentleman that's important. And that's something that from the time they're two, three, four, five years old, we ought to be teaching that to them. And by the time they get to be 15, 16, 17 years old, it ought to be such a second nature to them that they don't even have to be told, why did you let that door drop? Go hold the door, Right? Why did you talk to that person that way? You should never talk to an adult that way. They shouldn't have to be taught that by the time they're that age. They should just be automatically doing it because we started young. 
But that means thinking about other people, being there when you're needed, knowing when you're not needed. By the way, that's another important thing too, you know, teaching, teaching your children how to, how to act around adults, right? That's one of the same, you know, it's one of the same, one of the reasons why I always let the adults go first when we have these church picnics and everything else, right? Adults ought to be the one that go first. Kids ought to be seen and not heard. How many times? I mean, I heard that a hundred times growing up, probably more. Kids ought to be seen and not heard. They're not the center of attention, Right? I mean, our kids are important. I love my kids. I'm thankful for my kids. But kids are not the center of attention, right? And, and parents have let them become the center of attention to the point where they think they're the most important thing in the world, and it becomes all about them and not about others. And that's not teaching them to be a gentleman because then when they get to be adults, they're going to think it's all about me. The world revolves around me. Why do you think we have these people doing the stuff that they do, right? You see these people walking down the middle of I-95. How did they get that way? Because everything revolved around them, and mom and dad coddled them and told them they were the most important thing in the world, and it's all about what you think, it's all about what you believe, and as long as you, as long as you stand for it, then, then you can do whatever you want to do. And to a certain extent, some of that is true, but the world doesn't revolve around you. You know what? You got an 18-wheeler going 60 miles an hour down I-95, and you step in front of it, you're not the most important thing in the world at that point, right? You're a greasy spot on the pavement. That's what you are. The world doesn't revolve around you. And so we ought to be teaching that to our children. Hey, I love my kids, and my kids are important to me. But they're not the center of the universe. And they need to be taught that. If an adult is having a conversation, the kids need to be taught. You don't interrupt until the adult acknowledges that you're there, right? It's, it's, it's just common courtesy. It's, it's teaching them to be a gentleman. And the same thing for girls. It's teaching them to be a lady, right? That's, that's what thinking of other people is. And if, oh, mom, 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 mom. I'm the most important thing in your life right now. Stop your conversation and listen to what I have to say. Right now, they're not going to say that, but that's what we're teaching them when they interrupt the conversation that an adult is having. It's not teaching them to be a gentleman. But the accumulation of gentlemanly behaviors over the course of a lifetime is what makes somebody a gentleman. And we ought to be teaching that to our boys. Boys will learn to be gentlemen as we make them start practicing being gentlemen today. Number three, the third thing that we ought to be teaching them is responsibility. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. While you're turning over there, I'm going to read to you Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18, verse 20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. You know what that is? It's responsibility. You are responsible for your actions. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. See, that's one of the problems with the world today is that so few people are willing to take responsibility for their actions. We talked about that for a little bit this morning, but our country was founded on the principles that assumed that men would take individual responsibility for their actions. Today, we blame the government or we blame the upbringing or we blame the, you know, whatever else we can rather than the individual. We, we want to make our, our child's life easy so that they have no responsibility, so that nothing, there's never any consequences because they never had any responsibility to have consequences for. And I think that's where things went wrong. And, and all, suddenly the, they're, they're married and they have children and now they have no idea what it means to be responsible, right? And that's why you're running calls for, for kids that have been neglected or you know, domestic violence and all this other kind of stuff. The kid sits inside and play video games all day. Dad's outside washing the car or cutting the grass or, you know, mama's slaving to make dinner, washing the dishes, doing the laundry and, and cleaning the house. 
It's the job of the parents to teach the individual children responsibility and the individual responsibility to their children. Right? I mean, there's, you know, make them responsible for things that have practical punishments if they don't do it. When, when we were growing up, it was our responsibility to make our lunch for school. Guess what happened if you didn't make your lunch for school? You didn't have a lunch at school, right? I mean, it's a practical. My parents didn't say, no, you're getting punished. You're not getting lunch today. But guess what? Once or twice, I forgot my lunch. And guess what? I didn't do it after that. Because I sat there at lunch and waited for people to finally finish up and getting ready to throw the little empty bag of chips away. And I said, let me have the crumbs out of the bottom of your chip bag, right? Or the nasty peanut butter and jelly sandwich that got smashed in their bag and you can see the big bruises on it, right? They don't want it, but I'm starving to death. I'll take it, right? Teach them responsibility. You make your lunch and you don't, you don't have it, right? There's, there's lots of other things that you could do too. Uh, and and I, think, you know, I think it's important to teach them to you know, clean up their own bedrooms, right? You live in it. You're the one that made the mess. Clean it up. Wash your clothes. It's not hard to do laundry. Let the mother teach the kids how to do the laundry. And, you know, hey, it's time to wash clothes, and you decided you didn't want to do it, and you had to wear dirty clothes to school, and everybody complained about how bad you smelled all day. Guess what? It's not going to be long before you start washing your clothes and picking them up and cleaning them, right? Let somebody make fun of you for looking like you're just crawling out from under a rock because your clothes are all stuffed in your drawers. And it's not going to be long before you learn how to fold your clothes and put them away, right? It's a practical, it's a practical punishment, but it's teaching them that responsibility. Oh, they did it again. I told them to put their clothes in the dirty clothes and, and go wash them, and they didn't do it, so I guess I'll go do it for them. You're not teaching them responsibility. You're teaching them that they can do whatever they want, and it's just going to get done for them, right? Uh, my, my parents, when we were growing up, I mean, there's 10 of us, and so they, they, they invented ways to make us work, right? They went out and got all kinds of animals and all kinds of other stuff that we had to do just so we had some work to do, and, and, and it was good for us, right? You, you don't feed the animals. You don't... You don't um, Cut the grass or whatever else. You didn't, they didn't get it, we didn't get it done by the time we were told to have it finished. And we didn't get to go do the fun things that we were planning to do that afternoon or whenever it was. That's not to say that parents can't help out, but the responsibility is placed squarely on the shoulders of the children. Right? And I get it. Sometimes, you know, uh, I, think, I think it's happened with our kids before. They made the, you know, made the lunches and then they forgot to bring it the next day. Hey, the easiest thing to do is to say, oh, sorry, you don't get a lunch. You know, I mean, okay, once or twice, I understand, but... If it's something where they're just letting the mothers do the work, hey, you ought to be letting your kids do that stuff. It's the, let them have some responsibility, right? Life is not always going to be easy, and it's going to slap them in the face when they turn 18, and all of a sudden they have to do it for themselves. Teach them that responsibility. And after a certain, I think after a certain age, boys ought to be responsible for paying for things themselves. When I got into seventh grade, my dad said, I'll give you a place to live. I'll put food on the table. I'll... I'll uh, give you a place to sleep. Anything else you want, you're paying for it yourself. So I went out, and, and, and he, had, he had his own business, which helped, but, but I did that with him some. But it wasn't even the main way that I got money because he paid me $2 an hour. I, I went, I started, I'm, I'm looking for another job where I can get paid more, right? So I started mowing grass. I started doing landscaping. I started, I started doing all kinds of stuff. And my parents didn't say, Oh, you have, oh, that's so great. You have a grass to cut. Let me cart you here and let you cut the grass. I'll sit there and wait while you do that and make your money. They say, you want to get there, you take your bike and you go right over there and cut the grass. You got the job. Go cut the grass, right? And um, my birthday is on June 28th, right? Just had it. I got a speedometer for my, my, for my birthday one summer. I think I was probably 14, 15 years old. I got a speedometer for my birthday that I was able to put on my bike that I drove everywhere. A road everywhere. 
And by the end of that summer, I had put over 600 miles on my bike, driving from one lawn to the next, cutting grass, weed eating, staining decks, doing all kinds of different stuff that I could do to make money. And you know what else I learned? I learned, I learned the value of money. Because what happened was the boys that were in the basketball team with me and stuff like that were going out every year, $100 pair of brand new basketball shoes, tear them up, don't care what happens to them. You know what I did? I went to Kmart and bought a, I bought a $15 pair of Warner Brothers basketball shoes on clearance when I was going into ninth grade. And those things lasted me until, uh, until the end of my 11th grade season. You know why? I wore them on the basketball court and that was it. Because I paid for those things and I knew that if I tore them up, I was going to have to go buy new ones. Right? You know where I learned to shop? I didn't go to Kohl's and Macy's and all these other places. I shopped at Goodwill. I learned, how to, I learned the value of a dollar, right? I didn't have to have the nicest things. You can find a lot of nice stuff at Goodwill. You can find a lot of nice stuff for cheap if you're looking for it. But what happens so often is parents are just, well, it's just, you know, I'll buy it for them. And, and then, you know, these kids that, that uh, are in school and, and they're constantly leaving their belts and their shoes and their, you know, their ties and all of this stuff around. I guarantee you they would take care of it if they were the ones that had to buy it when it's gone, Right? And that's teaching them that responsibility. But it taught me the importance of money, how to handle money. My dad taught us how to set up a budget and live within that budget. And if you didn't have the money in that envelope, then you didn't get to do it. And guess what? It teaches you that responsibility. It teaches you how to handle that money. It taught me how to budget. If I spent all my money on a pair of shoes, then I wouldn't have it for that activity that I wanted to do. I wouldn't have it to go actually buy something that I really needed. But... They have to, you know, they, they're going to have to get a job. They're going to have to take care of that responsibility. I'm not saying, you know, oh, son, you're 13 now. Go get a job at Chick-fil-A or something. You know, I mean, it's 16, 17 years old maybe. But, hey, there's jobs in the neighborhood. There's a lot of people in the neighborhoods that you live in, I can guarantee you, that would say, yeah, I'd love for somebody to come cut my grass. I'll pay you five bucks an hour to cut my grass. In fact, I might even do that if somebody was willing to do it. No, I better not say that too loud. Jackson cuts the grass. But that uh, teaches them responsibility, right? But, uh, hey, there's a, there's a lot of people out there to be willing to, hey, you know what? I, I got all these sticks in my yard that need to be picked up. I'll, I'll pay you 20 bucks. Hey, it snows. You know what we used to do every time it snowed in Indiana? We loved it because we'd go out and knock on the door. Hey, you want me to shovel your driveway for 20 bucks? Yeah, sure. Go to the next house. Take, take you 15 minutes of driveway. And you could make some serious money when it snowed in Indiana. But, but you just have to figure out ways to do it. Figure out ways to make money. That's, that's learning how to be responsible. And here's the last one. I'll, I'll move on. Turn over to 3 John. 3 John. And this is the most important one by far. All those other things are good practical things that need to be taught. But they really don't mean a whole lot if you're not doing number four, and that is teaching righteousness. That's what makes somebody a real man. None of those other characteristics of manliness will matter very much if we don't teach our boys to be holy and righteous before God. That is the ultimate test of manhood. One of the rarest things in this world today is to find a Christian man who follows the Lord with all of his heart. Because so many people follow their heart. So many people follow their pleasure and desires and all this other stuff, and they don't follow the Lord with all their heart. They might, they might be a gentleman. They might be responsible. They might have a good job. They might do all those other things, and they might even be a Christian. But they're just a nominal Christian. And you, when you stand before God, none of it's going to matter if you're not living for God. 
but we train our children to live that way, then there's no greater joy in all the world. And John says that in 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. In 1895, Josiah Hotchkiss Gilbert said this, I long to have the children feel that there's nothing in this world more attractive, more earnestly to be desired than manhood in Jesus Christ. One of the main reasons manliness has left this world is because we've emptied it of the truths of the Word of God. Uh, in 1880, Thomas Hughes said this, In this lifelong fight to be waged by every one of us single-handed against a host of foes, the last requisite for a good fight, the last proof and test of our courage and manliness must be loyalty to truth, the most rare and difficult of all human qualities. For such loyalty, as it grows in perfection, asks ever more and more of us and sets before us a standard of manliness always rising higher and higher. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 3. See, the challenge, the challenge that's before our children to live godly is even greater than the challenge that was set before us. I think this, the wickedness of the wicked is even more wicked than it used to be 20, 30 years ago when we were growing up. Um, it's, it's more accessible to this generation than it's ever been. And so the challenge before them to live righteous and holy before God is, is, a, is a lot tougher challenge than it used to be. One of the greatest preventions for our children falling into sin is to let them see a father who is so set on pleasing Jesus Christ, so set on loving Jesus Christ and emulating him in everyday life that for them to do anything else would be a disgrace to themselves. Not that they'd be a disgrace to you, although it would be, but they would feel like they were letting themselves down if they didn't grow up to be like their dad in the way that he emulates Jesus Christ. 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 6 Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. Get this. According as he walked before thee in truth. This is Solomon talking about his father. This is what Solomon saw in his father. According as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. What a better thing could be said about David than that Solomon, his son, noticed the fact that David walked before God in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with God. That's what the goal of raising young men is and ought to be, to have a father that's so in love with Jesus Christ that he knows that and he notices that. We need to present a Christianity in our own lives that makes them want more than anything to live the life and serve the God that we do. I'm, I'm not worried about Jackson and Alex staying right. I'm worried about their father staying right. And if their father can stay right, then Jackson and Alex have a whole lot better chance of growing up and living for God. If I can keep my life right, then I have a lot better chance that my boys are going to follow in my footsteps. But the, 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 the inconsistencies that most fathers have in their lives and the hypocrisy that most fathers exhibit in their lives keeps most of the young men that they're trying to raise from growing up and living for God. I beg God every day that it help, me, help them grow into the men that God wants them to be. See, true masculinity is almost gone in our society. There's plenty of males. There's not a lot of true men. And in order for a man to be a true man, he has to be the embodiment of all those principles. And they don't just happen by osmosis. They don't just become a man because they hit a certain age. They reach adulthood. They don't reach necessarily manhood. Our kids are not just going to wake up one morning and find out that they have all these characteristics. They have to be taught those things. 
Steve Farrar said this, fathers are to sons what blacksmiths are to swords. It's the job of the blacksmith not only to make a sword, but also to maintain its edge of sharpness. It's the job of the father to keep his son sharp and save him from the dullness of foolishness. He gives his son that sharp edge through discipline. That's what fathering is all about. It's mentoring and equipping your son to become a man who will assume the family leadership for the next generation. You have no higher calling in life. It is your God-given assignment. For sake of time, I'm not going to have you turn over there, but Proverbs 22, 6 says what? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart. General Douglas MacArthur said this, Build me a son, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know when he's weak, brave enough to face himself when he's afraid, one who will be proud and unbending in honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory. Build me a son whose wishbone will not be where his backbone should be, a son who will know thee, and that to know himself is the foundation stone of knowledge. Lead him, I pray, not in the path of ease and comfort, but under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenge. Here let him learn to stand up in the storm. Here let him learn compassion for those who fail. Build me a son whose heart will be clear, whose goal will be high, a son who will master himself before he seeks to master other men, one who will learn to laugh yet never forget how to weep, one who will reach into the future yet never forget the past. And after all these things are his, add, I pray, enough of a sense of humor so that he may always be serious yet never take himself too seriously. Give him humility so that he may always remember the simplicity of true greatness, the open mind of true wisdom, the meekness of true strength. Then I, his father, will dare to whisper, I have not lived in vain. It's the responsibility of the fathers and the mothers working together to raise boys that will be manly. It's, it, it's time that we stop letting the world dictate how we should act. It's time that we stop letting the, the world dictate how we should be raising our, our, our boys and our girls, but our boys. Start letting the word of God do that instead, right? Teach them how to be manly men. And the way that, I mean, the most important thing is to teach them to follow righteousness. Teach them to love God with all their heart. But boy, there's, there's probably guys out there that love God and, and maybe even love him with all their heart that are just not manly. And, and they're not going to be leading a, a family in the right direction. They're not going to be leading boys in that charge for standing for truth, right? You, you allow the effeminization of our Christian young men. And what ends up happening is that one of these days when the fight comes, and it's going to be here, we're going to have to fight to be able to keep the word of God because it's going to be hate speech before long. We're going to have to fight to be able to stay in church. We're going to have to fight to stay out of prison for preaching the word of God. And when we allow the effeminization of our young Christian men, then what's going to happen is that they're not going to fight. They're going to roll over and they're going to turn those things over to the world and they're just going to let them have it because they've been so effeminized by a culture and by, by dads who let them do that. And it's, it's amazing to me that that's, that that so many of these boys that are walking around looking all effeminate and everything else have dads who are not. But you've got to teach them that. You have to teach them how to be a man. They're not just going to naturally do it. And all these other principles that go along with it, and there's probably a lot of other things that we can say about what, what makes a man a man. Um, but it's a God-given thing. God created men to be men. And he created women to be women. We ought to be raising our girls to be ladies, and we ought to be raising our boys to be men. It's important because we are raising the next generation of Christians. If we raise them to be effeminate, 
If we raise our girls to be masculine, then the whole thing gets all skewed and we lose what we find in the Word of God. We lose what we have now. And it's so important that we don't because once you give it up, you can't get it back. Can't get it back. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for how good you are to us. I pray that this has been a help to us. It's, it's such, a, such a tremendous responsibility we have as fathers and mothers raising our children, raising this next generation for you. God, I pray that you would help us not to shirk that responsibility. I pray that you'd help us to take it so seriously that we spend every day in prayer asking you for help, that we spend every day training and teaching and disciplining and discipling our young men and our young ladies to grow up and be exactly what you want them to be. The only thing that we do when we don't do that is, is cripple them in accomplishing whatever it is that you have for each one of them to accomplish. But God, I pray that you'd help us to have wisdom. pray that you'd help us to have courage. pray that you'd help us to have the boldness to stand up to, to, the, to the effeminization of the culture and that we'd raise godly young men that can go out and conquer for the cause of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.